This is the 21.5 Show. You're on 121.5, the emergency frequency. Whether you're a professional pilot or want to be one, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Join professional aviators Dylan and Max as they talk their experience in the airlines, business aviation, and more. Life is good. Industry experts, unique stories, and plenty of fun. This is the 21.5 Show. Here we go. We are back. Episode 101. We put the old school rap on for a minute just to get us feeling... Always gets me in the mood. You know what? I was listening to the Dr. Dre album, that one he released. like Chronic? Oh, no, Compton, like his most recent one. Okay. It's pretty cool. I was getting all worked up. It's, it's, I mean, it's, wait, 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 like hold 10 on. Years ago. What happens when you get worked up to Dr. Dre? <laughs> exactly. I just, like, I you sort of put on a gold chain and I start tapping the steering wheel as yeah, I'm driving and head nod a little bit. Do you know that? Remember the movie Office Space where they're like listening to yeah. that guy's listening to the rap and then he like stops at the stoplight and then turns it down. Yeah, so yeah. Is that see. you? Yeah, that's me. So I'm just sort of modulating my <laughs> listening volume, but it's good. Bald dad head yeah. bobbing to mm-hmm. Dre. I mm-hmm. love it. And the yeah, there was an Eminem. Have you car heard? seat visible in the rear seat? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Two of them. Yeah. Were you wearing white New Balances perchance? Mm-hmm. I was. I had a lawnmower in the back. I Some was Levi's. Gonna, yeah. Five hundred ones. Brown belt, perhaps a uh, collared uh, shirt. White tucked nice in. Nice Orvis top that I got from only the one Costco. button. <laughs> only one button unbuttoned. You don't want to be too aggressive. Hello, all. Ch- hello, you children. <laughs> hello, youth. What are you listening to? Uh, what are you listening to? That's probably the question you're asking yourself. It's the 21.5 show is the answer, surprisingly enough. <laughs> you gotta wonder. Somebody, somebody first turns into the show. And yeah. Oh, they've done 100 episodes. This 101st must be their best yet. Yeah. Usually it's a show for professional pilots by professional pilots. Hello and welcome. My name is Dylan. I am a professional pilot and still a West Coast rap fan. Who isn't yeah. at this point? I'm joined, of course, by my colleague and co-host, Max. Hello, Max. <laughs> a lot uh, of Howard Stern show references. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nobody probably gets. That's right. Uh, Joel's keeping us organized from behind the board, and we got a lot to talk about today. So, as folks may remember, earlier this year, I switched jobs and I'm um, flying a Challenger 350 now. He went from a Challenger to a Challenger. That's right. Everyone. That's right. But here's something that I, I did for the first time in like literally, I think, six years. I flew into Teterboro last week. <laughs> And we're going in in the middle of the night. Did you slow to 210, 30 miles out just mm-hmm. to see what just, would happen? Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, it was at like two in the morning. So I don't think anyone would have really complained. But as I was going in, I was like, oh, yeah, there's that noise abatement procedure at night. And folks that have go in there probably know it's the GPS x-ray into runway 19. But it has a super confusing thing. Do you remember in Teterboro where there's like that hospital? Yeah. That they're trying to get you to avoid flying over the hospital, mm-hmm. right? But, but the problem is, is there, there's these radio towers to the right. So you can't like at night, it's kind of weird because if you read the procedure, it says you go to the VDP. Here it is right here. And then it says once you get to the VDP, you like turn to a line with the runway. That's what the language says. But I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm going, but then that's going to make me fly over the hospital. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah, because there's noise monitoring stuff yeah. on the on the top of the hospital. So then you're you're supposed to go this way. So it was just very confusing. So. I know if you're listening right now, you're going, I can't see any of these Did pictures. you call the Teterboro noise office first thing in the morning I to said, get your noise profile faxed I, I to you? I actually just went right there, yeah, and just waited. <laughs> you walked so in? hand deliver it to me, yeah. <laughs> Listen, can I set up a noise profile conference, please, with somebody of a position of authority here? Yeah, exactly. 
So I don't know if we did it right or not, and I'm hoping our listeners will coach <laughs> me up. Done that. Listen, I just want you guys to know I take this as seriously as you do. So yeah. I really want to measure my compliance. Yeah. Here Where in, are we at? In the tenth of a decimal. I shut an engine down on final to try and lower our. <laughs> did it work? So I tried to set an example for yeah, the rest really of the trying to... aviators coming yeah. in here. We had plenty of excess thrust, sir. So I'm confused. So I just I hope some of the Teterboro regulars will write in and tell me what to do. I did not fly over the hospital. We went past the hospital, then we joined final. But we could see the towers, so we stayed clear of the tower, the ABC tower, and then joined final after the hospital. But it's not what the, the language doesn't say that. So hopefully I didn't screw it up. Maybe I'll never be able to go to Teterboro again. Maybe I totally screwed it up. How could you screw it up? It's an approach, dude. What do you mean? Like, I'm just kidding. It was more just, of a joke. Next time, just connect the autopilot. Yeah. Maybe things will work out a little better. And then we were lucky. I don't know if you've seen... Have you seen any of the pictures on social media of all the smoke in New York right now? No. No, I just read about it. It's like from Canada, right? It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's smoky. So we got it there just in time. But uh, yeah, it was good to be back in Teterboro, Meridian. Just seeing all of the <laughs> Could faces. Could you imagine all the ladies in, in, in Manhattan in the morning at the coffee shop? Look at all this smoke. Yeah. <laughs> It was bad. This is terrible. This is terrible. So that was my adventure. But I'm back. I feel like I'm a real corporate pilot again. I went back. Good for you. Yep. I feel like I got some Did you stay at the Hasbrook Heights Hilton? That was the step too far. I couldn't do I couldn't <laughs> Did do you that. go to the Starbucks? Uh, no. Right I looked at it. I was just like, I don't think I can fully commit. We had this flight attendant when I was a charter pilot and that she said she could see ghosts. And so on certain overnights, I'm not making this up, especially at the Hasbrook Heights Hilton, she would see the same pilot ghost every time she was there. It was some corporate pilot that had died at the Hasbrook Heights Hilton, she said. Oh, my God. Please he was tell, haunting that Please place. tell me you put a sheet over your head and cut a couple holes in your eyes and ran down <laughs> the hallway. <laughs> yeah, like, no, you, you didn't mess with her? Well, we were just kind of like... That would have been way too much for me to... to suppress i would have had had it would have been funny yeah ask for an adjoining room and then just start like knocking on the door help me could you imagine oh my god and then you're driving to the airport next day send your uh, give me your breakfast coupons anybody hear any ghosts last night (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it was pounding on my door yelling obscenities full moon out there (laughs) send the catering All right. So no, we didn't go to the Hilton Hasbrook Heights. We'll say that one for next time. What about you? Any exciting adventures in the air for you recently? No, I can't say that anything was exciting. I don't. Okay. I, I mean, I don't have much to report. I had to drain all the fuel tanks in my plane and try and fix a fuel leak. So not not a lot exciting going on there. Okay. And I have nothing to report. Okay. That's that's not bad. All right. Well, Max, we did that live episode. That was pretty fun. I thought. Yeah, it was. It turned out good. Yeah, we were able to answer a lot of flight advice questions. I think we still have one left over, don't we, Joel, that we can get to later on in this episode? Yes. This is we do. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. The, the wildfire smoke from Canada up here in the north. <laughs> That's right. Me. God, it was so bad. We had to climb through like 15,000 feet before you could even see anything. Really? Yeah. That bad? Yeah, it was, it was bad. How bad is it there in Ohio? It's weird. It's like an overcast all day long. And but it's not air low. quality alerts and all kinds of stuff. So does it smell like smoke? It smells like a campfire wherever you hmm. go. It's it's very strange, but it's nothing like New York. It's not like orange outside. Yeah, I need to get my tinfoil hat on, do some reading on select mm-hmm. Reddit groups. Mm-hmm. They're saying there were like 400 fires in Canada. They all started within an hour of each other. We'll see. We need to call our boy Jared. <laughs> see what he's up to. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, lots to get to in this show. 
we finally did something we haven't been able to do, uh, and that's get a little bit, uh, get some folks from the cargo side of things on the phone and uh, learn a little bit about what's going on in the cargo marketplace. So I think you're going to find that very educational. I know I learned a lot. Overall, just very uplifting. Yeah. I mean, very. It's a whole nother world over there. Whole nother world. We're also going to check in with Dr. Chris Broyhill again and get the latest on the salary numbers in business aviation. He's going to be doing that quarterly for us. So I think yeah. that's going to be... Dr. Broyhill crunching the numbers, fighting yeah. the good fight for the uh, pilots of America. That's right. And uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up with some flight advice at the end. So an exciting show for everyone today. Let's jump in to uh, see what's on the docket there. Uh, Joel, do we have any reviews? Has anyone even been talking about the show lately or are we... They were so impressed by the live thing that they are mm. just reeling from that, and they haven't left any new reviews since. Then. But okay, I'll tell you what though, we have been. I have been sending some stickers out though. We had mm-hmm. some folks in the live show that got some, and then somebody from England actually just messaged me today and wanted some stickers. Yeah. So how about that? Yeah, I got to figure out how to get those over there. <laughs> but uh, I would love to send you some stickers. All you got to do is write us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll happily send some out. I've got a few left of the never take financial advice from a pilot. Very valuable. Okay, moving on to the mailbag, which of course is brought to you by our friends of Advanced Aircrew Academy. Aircrewacademy.com. You can check out the offerings that they have for your flight department. How can you keep your pilots up to date on specific procedures such as the RNAV X-ray 1-9 into Teterboro at night? <laughs> And other uh, issues that uh, pilots face out there. Runway excursions. They have a great segment on that. And weather radar, which we all need this time of year. Aircrewacademy.com to check out all of their offerings. Let's jump into the mailbag. Episode 100 included a discussion of flight instructor refresher courses. I have completed eight of them. Inconsistencies in training can arise from the fact that the provider designs their own courses and exams, which at least initially get approved by the FAA. Later, changes may be made to the content or exams and not always for the better. My vote is for AOPA Flight Safety's FERC. Very good overall, though it isn't perfect. For example, I completed AOPA's FERC most recently and was surprised to see what must have been new or rewritten content which had poor grammar and awkward writing. In another example, I remember taking the King School's FERC years ago and was so disappointed by poorly worded questions and a surprising lack of video content. Never thought I would miss John and Martha. If I'm going to spend the time and money on the FERC, it's important to me that it's done well and provides a good education. Otherwise, why bother? David. Well, David, the other reason is to renew your flight instructor certificate. Yeah, that would be the other. (laughs) Most people, I would say, are not doing it for the education, which I appreciate that David is. It would be very educational if I had done it. I I have the solution (laughs) right now. We feed in the questions, the whole knowledge bank, and make ChatGPT write it. (laughs) And do it in like do it in the tone of a comedian. How hilarious would that be? Teach the FERC as if you're Chris Rock. You are Chris Rock and you're teaching a comedy FERC. We gotta look into this. Nobody <laughs> that steal would, that idea. That would be what, what teach the FERC as if you're Andrew Dice Clay in nineteen seventy-eight <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Ow! Oh <laughs> you are Eddie Murphy in nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> How about that class D airspace? Oh! Ow! Hickory dickory dock. <laughs> I think this could be good. We're going to sell this course to Advanced Air Crew Academy, I think. Crossing the final approach. Don't forget to hack the clock. Uh, that's not how it goes, but no. you know. 
anyway, Interesting. moving on quickly. Let's move on. Loving the show. Great job creating something useful and entertaining. Long story short, I'm making a move from corporate to the airlines. I have a CJO at Southwest and an interview coming up with Delta. I'm still in the U.S. Air Force Reserves, and I'm also a DPE and own and operate a pretty successful Part 61 flight school. I don't need the airlines, but I'm worried to miss out on the benefits they offer. I feel like Southwest will give me the flexibility I need now in my life and be a good place for me later in life when I'm done with the Air Force. Am I crazy for going? Seth. Hang on. Let me, I have to review all the things that Seth is up to. Okay. While you're reviewing this, Seth, there's $5,000 in the lab of the airplane. Max and I need our CFIs re-signed off. <laughs> it says you're a DPE. Info21.5podcast.com. No, he, he for sure should go. I mean, the reserves is no brainer. That's, yeah. uh, it works hand in hand. That's, yeah. And then I've flown with guys at Southwest that are DPEs. It's a, that's a great side gig. And he's got the flight school. Like we talked about, Southwest does. I explained in a previous episode about the the, the flexibility and the way it works at Southwest, which not perfect, but for yeah. the most part, it uh, does provide you a lot of schedule flexibility. So the, here's the the piece of information because basically, basically asking, I've got the CGO at Southwest and interview at Delta. Where do you live? Yeah. <laughs> Where is your flight school? Where is your DPE business? If it, the answer is Dallas, then I think the answer is very clear. Yeah, your flexibility will be greatly diminished <laughs> if you commute. Yeah, I would say Southwest is going to be the way to go unless you like you live in Atlanta or something like. Yeah. An, a Delta only hub. Well, no, we have a base in Atlanta. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's very seniors. But. Salt Lake City. I don't know. We're a Delta only base. Yeah, exactly. you get the point. Good luck with that, Seth. And yeah, definitely let us know uh, when you can uh, renew some CFI certificates. We'll send you some stickers. <laughs> that maybe. Yeti cup. All right, what's next? Hey, guys, really enjoy your show. I'm a corporate pilot, and the topic of liability and contract flying on the side has come up. Many Fortune 500 companies prohibit outside flying for liability. This is a nice way to earn some extra income. We require pilots to be on PTO if doing outside flying, but we very purposely have no written policy on this topic. It'd be nice to hear what an aviation legal expert has to say on this issue. Thank you, Chris. Well, I can't imagine. There's no legislation that prevents you from outside flying. I think there's, well, there's a few different ways we need to look at this. Chris makes a point about many Fortune 500 companies prohibit outside flying for liability. I think... There's very little upside if you're running a big flight department to letting your pilots contract in general. So I think the bigger the flight department you're at, the more difficulty you're going to have from a employer policy standpoint. It just seems like there's just it just opens a can of worms. It's going to make it very difficult when you're managing, you know, 10, 15 pilots, you know, if you're at a smaller outfit, then I can see where I mean, there are places that we know you and I both know people where. The owners, I wouldn't say encourage, but they say, yeah, if you want to contract fly, go ahead. You know, So there certainly are places to do it, but I would say the more structure of the flight department, like you mentioned, Fortune 500, probably the less likely that's going to be. Any thoughts? No, I think you have it right. I mean, there's no incentive. So yeah, the only incentive that sometimes is, is if you're low utilization flight department and you can use that as negotiating to say... You don't have to pay salary as much if you let people contract. Yeah. But. Right. So from an aviation legal, I think now the other side of the coin is what an aviation legal expert would say if I am a pilot for Pepsi and I'm doing a contract trip for 
a, you know, I'm trying to think, Co- Kubota, Kubota oh. tractors. <laughs> and there's some type of incident while I'm a, a pilot for, you know, company B is company A, my employer liable at some point that I don't know the answer to. So that part would be interesting to ask an aviation expert. Yeah. I can see why there is liability right now, but we did do a full episode on contract pilot do's and don'ts. And we talked to Tom Haig from an insurance standpoint, how you can handle it. We talked about uh, with a full-time contractor, how he ran that business. So there's a lot in the contract pilot world. What do you think is going to happen with contract pilots, Max, in the next couple of years? I mean, the demand is already high compared to recent history even. And I think it's going to remain that way just as long as this pilot squeeze happens. People are trying to fly more airplanes with less pilots and that's mm-hmm. how you do it. You, it's pilot merry-go-round. Yeah. So I think then that's going to continue to push the rates. And then as these new airplanes come out where there's very few people typed, it's, it's a whole thing. I yeah. don't know. Could we see? What's the highest you've ever heard? The day rate. I Actually, it was funny because you mentioned that because they were just talking. I think the G600 guys are doing like 3,500 a day. But I mean, like if you're on a brand new type, like you said... I think it could be really be whatever you you name the price, right? Yeah. Like if you're the first guy that's typed on like the uh, 10X or something. The problem is on those new airplanes, it's very, very difficult to get into those initial waves of training because those are all entitlement. So, right. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for the mailbag. Thanks to everyone that wrote in. You can uh, always get a hold of us. Info at 215podcast.com or fill out the anonymous flight advice form on our website, 215podcast.com. Also, you can send us a message on LinkedIn, Instagram. Max is constantly monitoring those outlets and is immediately Big ready. guy. Immediately ready to reply to any conversation that you can swing our way. <laughs> Little Bo Peeps. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Seth. And thanks to David for writing in. Uh, if you want to be on the show, you can shoot us an email, info at 215podcast.com, and we will be happy to kind of make fun of you, kind of answer your question and try and figure out how to convert your idea into business. (laughs) All right. We're excited for this next update from Dr. Chris Broyhill. He is going to be giving us the latest that the latest financial numbers are in Max. And the cool thing about uh, Dr. Broyhill's software is that he's constantly changing it. Constantly updating it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into the numbers with Dr. Broyhill. This is also a video segment. Spoiler alert. So if you loved seeing uh, Max and I on video during the live show, then uh, you can tune in on YouTube or on LinkedIn and watch this as a little breakout segment. That's a video segment? Yeah. That's why I, I Joel and I were in tuxedos and you I don't, were in I don't, a t-shirt. Yeah, I don't remember being weird. made aware that that was a, a video segment, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. What was I wearing? Seriously. No, I, I think you had a tank top on. No, it wasn't a tank top. It was like a you know, like a undershirt, like a tanked undershirt. It was my probably my undershirt after I'd flown that day. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, yeah. guys. I'm very so, authentic. So yeah, now you definitely should tune in. Yeah. See. Max has a really cool tattoo on his right bicep, though. So I think you guys are really gonna enjoy <laughs> it's that. Andrew Dice Clay. Air comp and the gun show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, let's go talk to Dr. Boyd. Max, we are so excited for Dr. Chris Broyhill to be rejoining us. We were so impressed with our episode with him earlier this year. We said, man, there's so much data out there. There's so much changing in the world of compensation. We need to talk to him regularly. So we're excited to announce that uh, Dr. Broy Hill and the Air Comp Calculator are going to be joining us every quarter to give us a little update on the pilot compensation market. 
So welcome to the program, Chris. Thank you. Uh, good to be back here again, guys. And, and per quarter is very apt timing because when I age the data in the calculator, I do it on a quarterly basis and I follow the economic trends in our economy very closely, particularly the growth of private industry compensation. And that's an indice I use to age the data in the calculator. I use um, the data that's in, inside the surveys to age the compensation data into the present, but I also use data from the BLS as kind of a dampening mechanism so it doesn't get too crazy in either direction. And it's been interesting. What I've seen uh, since we last spoke is I have had uh, several anecdotal stories come my way in terms of how perhaps compensation data in its current form, or at least at the 50th percentile, is not really keeping up with the market. So it's just, just kind of provides a, a you know graphic of this. There's a chart here. The first one we're looking at, it's a graph of the consumer price index versus that indice I mentioned, the private industry compensation growth. But over that, I've laid a line that shows growth of, of business aviation compensation. And it's important to realize that the, up the left side is percentage across the, the lower axis is years going from 2015 to 2022. It's important to keep in mind that these are rates of growth. It doesn't mean that we're ever negatively growing. It doesn't ever mean compensation is shrinking. It just means it's growing at either a higher rate or maybe a little bit lower rate. So the interesting, usually when you're trying to compare consumer price index versus compensation, those are kind of an apple and oranges comparison in that we're talking about cost of living versus the cost of labor. The two are not the same thing. However, in this case, it's interesting to see the correlation between the two as we go from 2015 to 2022. And as you can see there, the growth of you know, the consumer price index from 2015 to 2020 has been about consistent. It's been this grow maybe 2% a year down to 1% a year. It's been pretty consistent. And along the top of that, private industry compensation has paralleled it. It's been pretty consistent also, just above the rate of uh, consumer price index. But then we hit 2020, where we had uh, a landmark event, and into 2021, and shall we say different thought processes came in place about how to manage the economy. And the consumer price index shoots up from 1% in 2020 up to like 6.5%, 6.75% in 2021. And then it ebbs off a little bit, goes down like 6.25% in 2022. During the same period from 2020 to 2022, private industry compensation was rising at 3% per year in 2020. And then 2021, it's averaging, it's growing at a rate of about 4.5%. And then in 2022, it's growing at a rate of 5%. But then we've got the business aviation compensation line, which appears to be erratic, but if you think about it, it really isn't. And it's important to emphasize that blue business aviation compensation line represents a, an average of 14 different positions, which is what I track with the calculator, across three different surveys, multiple surveys. So you can see that, again, the, there's a significant bump from 2015 to 2016. That's about you know the, site, the time that the airline hiring boom mm -hmm. really started to, to take hold. It started earlier in that, but people started getting it about then. And then it levels off from 2016 to 2017, pops up a little bit 2018, goes down a little bit to 2020, but then from 2020 to 2021, it shoots up from about 3.5% all the way to like 6%. And then from 2021 to 2022, something weird happens. And that is it goes from 6%, it actually, the rate of growth actually goes down across that one-year period from 2020 to 2021 to 2022. For guys like me that live in the data, that is a very puzzling, a very puzzling occurrence because we all know, based on what's going on in the industry, 
uh, that wages in the industry are not going down or they're not growing any less. They are, in fact, growing more. So the anecdotal stories that I mentioned earlier, and I should anecdotal stories are redundant. But anyway, so I work with people all the time who are trying to find what good rates of compensation are. And I got a call from one guy that's locally based here and they're flying globals. And he said, we had this other company come in and do a compensation analysis for us. And this other company has no expertise in compensation analysis at all. They, they measure other data. But he said, we're driving globals. And they said that we shouldn't be paid any more than 200 grand. And I'm like, what? Huh? Which doesn't align with my data. That's, that's the low side of that story. And then I have a friend who's in the recruiting business trying to staff a 7X on, on the West Coast of Florida somewhere. And she can't find anybody, the, the captain, the jet, who will take a number with less than a three in front of it. And my data doesn't show that. And I was a senior captain flying a jet of that class. Yeah, 300 is right about the center of the 75th percentile in my data. But that's what they're hearing. And I'm consistently hearing stories like about people asking for compensation in the threes, flying stuff, G500s, G600s, G650s, 7Xs, you know, the big, the big iron, if you will. So the data isn't really showing that to the extent we would like. So we are in a period of turbulence, I would say, uh, in the data. So let me show something. There's another uh, chart that deals with growth of compensation for captains. And you can see, and again, this is multiple surveys across the years. You can see the captains, that's a pretty steady growth curve. It goes up from an average of, in 2015, your average captain made about 134 grand. And in 2022, they're now making close to 200, 198. But the rate of increase is just has slowed somewhat from 2021 to 2022. So it's just, it's just, it's just puzzling to me that that's the case. And then if you, there's another chart I provided you that shows um, technicians and that one's even more puzzling and it represents a trend that kind of parallels the economic trends I showed you before as well, where you see technicians kind of going up and down from 2015 to 2019, growing steadily to 2021 and then ebbing off from 2021 to 2022. Your, your mind tells you that doesn't make any sense from a data perspective. What that tells me is there are anomalies in the data set. It means that different organizations responded to the data, to the query. It means that different incumbents were in place who, who responded to the query. What does that really mean? What does it really look like? It's say, for example, you've got a flight department that participated in both survey both years, but they promoted a lot of people from captain to senior captain or some people less. So the people in those positions changed. So they're still reporting the numbers faithfully, but since the people in those positions changed, you're not getting the same group reporting back and, and it can change, it can kind of move the needle. So what does all this mean? What it means is one of the things I constantly advise people to do is you need to pay in the 75th percentile if you want to stay ahead of the market. If you, if you pay in the 50th percentile, you, you try to bet on the come that paying at the 50th percentile, the median, the middle of the data set, if you pay at that level, you're accepting risk because you're not going to be ahead of the market. Probably you have all these anecdotal competitions for your personnel and that, that, that personnel competition does not just come in from the airlines. I mean, we've talked about Delta raising their pay 34%. Americans probably going to raise their pay in a comparable amount. FedEx has voted to go on strike. Southwest has voted to go on strike. United is in negotiations. They're all going to settle on contracts here in the near future. And when they do, that's going to push up compensation and business aviation as well, because we're going to fight to keep people. So that competition we have is not just an airline issue directly. It's also an indirect airline issue because what happens is I had a, another um, company come to me for a consulting job recently where they lost one of their people to an operator down the street. And that operator had lost people to the airlines. 
So that loss will be direct, it'll be indirect, but it'll definitely be there. So to, to kind of circle back, economic trends in the industry, what do they mean? What they mean is we need to focus on paying ahead of the curve so that we can do the best we can to retain our people. And I hope I haven't bored everybody with the charts and the stats. So No, no, I think it's really interesting. So, you know, for especially for folks listening that couldn't see the chart, it's surprising to see uh, in th that downward trend there for, for the latest data. Here's a thought, and I don't know if this is accurate. What's happened in that last year is the airlines started hiring again, right? 2021, 2022. Mm -hmm. Were senior people on the higher end of the compensation scale going to the airlines and Could their be. replacements making less? Could, Could that be. be possibly part of the, the factor? And certainly the, the average new hire, as is the case at the airlines, is the same in business aviation where the average new hire experience level is less. Mm -hmm. So that obviously affects where that starting pay is at too. So maybe senior people that were making a lot of money had left and then more junior people that are starting off while that yeah. compensation is a lot higher than it was a few years ago is still not where the senior guys can go. Yeah. And we're seeing, we're, we're seeing a, a high degree of turnover in the industry, obviously. So once people get experienced, uh, particularly in the newer, sexier stuff, the G500, G600, Global 7500, Global 7000, those new jets, they become a commodity and people want them and they want them badly and they're willing to pay top dollar to get them because not only is finding people with experience in those aircraft difficult. It's also, if you want to, if you hire somebody off the street with no experience and you're trying to get a training slot for that, you're often looking like a year in advance. So you hire these people without experience in the jet that you need them to fly. And then you have to wait a year to train them. But by the same token, you got to pay them there to keep them there. And yeah. you're paying them to sit, to sit around and cool their heels and maybe wait on a pop-up training slot. If somebody cancels out at the last minute, it's just, it's a really different personnel market these days than it's been, I think, in my entire time in business aviation. And I've been in the industry like over 20 years now. It's different now than it's ever been. It's almost like, should your survey account for, okay, 50th percentile, 70th percentile, but it's almost like you need a new category, typed and current, and what premium that person commands. Like in your 7X story, oh, we need to hire a 7X person with time and type that's ready to go. That is almost a completely different number because I think what, what we've learned, kind of what I've seen anecdotally, is that everybody has a job, right? And so to get a new job, to price someone away from that, the job they're at, it's going to take significantly more. You know, it, people yes. aren't going to go chase two or $3,000 raise no, right? no, no, to no, go switch no. jobs. 30000 a year, okay, maybe I'll leave. My job's good now, but I guess, you know, if for that much money, I'll, I'll switch, you know? And <laughs> so I think that's an interesting new category maybe you should explore, for, especially when you're talking G500 type airplane where you can't get anyone in for a year. I mean, yeah. when you're talking about a budget to operate an aircraft of that size, mm -hmm. paying an extra 50, 100 grand a year to somebody to get the airplane to actually move doesn't seem like a ton. You know, well, in every case, I just gave a presentation recently at the Tennessee Business Aviation Association's luncheon. And one of the points I emphasize, and I saw a lot of heads nod in the audience when I said it, it is almost always more expensive to replace somebody than it is to pay them a reasonable amount more, maybe 20, even 20, 30 grand. I mean, it's always going to be more expensive to, to replace somebody, even if you're not flying the big iron, even if you're flying. So I recently did a compensation study for somebody in the Midwest. They're flying kind of older equipment that's super midsize. And usually when I do compensation studies, I focus on the class of airplane um, specifically to draw the numbers out. 
but this person didn't want that. He goes, he compares to everybody, compares to the all jet average, because we could lose our people not just to another airplane that looks like ours, but to somebody across the ramp who's flying something bigger and better. And I said, you know what, you're you're wise, and that's what we did. So so yeah, I mean, you, you have to be if you're going to make a change, it's got to be a change that will benefit the person who decides to make it. But also, it's got to be the person offering the, the money has to be cognizant of you know what that's going to take to, to lure them over there. And sometimes, so a lot of people will change jobs because they want to fly the bigger, sexier stuff. Somebody will offer them a G500, G600 type rating, and they go, woohoo. And they're willing to take a little bit maybe a lateral, completely lateral move to get into that airplane, even though what they'll be making when they get there might be below what the industry commands, fully knowing that once they get into that airplane and they get current and they get a little mileage on them, then they become a commodity and they can bid for more. And we see that happening more and more often. It's kind of for people like me that try to advise people on what to pay compensation wise, you know, it's, it makes, makes the field a bit challenging. And that's why I always kind of default pay the 75th percentile. Yes, yeah, it's going to cost you some money, but it'll be less than losing people. Pay the 75th percentile. You got to do it. Now, Chris, after we saw the reversal in trend there from 21 to 22, now that we're halfway through 23 and you, you know, you look at some of this data and on a quarterly basis, what's, what kind of trend are you seeing now that we're halfway through 23? Well, the general economy, it's picking up. I mean, right now, wages grew BLS wise 4.8% over the last year for everything, everything private industry wise that you can think of. So I think business aviation compensation, once the 2023 data lands, which we can expect late summer, early fall, by that time, it'll be time for another quarterly update and it'll be like a news flash. And I'll, and I'll tell you what the data says, because I'm eager to see it because I think we're going to see another upward trend there. I think we're going to recover from the dip we saw in 2022, if you will. And we're going to see a, you know, we're going to see a, a greater rate of increase going into 2023. So that's what my prediction is going to be because it, we, we just, if we're going to keep people in our industry, people are going to have to pay more and they, they're getting that. Every time I make a recommendation for somebody, I run a comp study, I'm telling them, yeah, you got to pay more. It's consistently. I've never, I've, I've rarely done a comp study where I tell people you're paying <laughs> you're enough. You're paying too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, you're really I never say the too much word. I always say that yeah. you're paying enough. So, but, uh, Isn't that crazy but yeah, I, I have, I've yet to do one where I say, yeah, you don't need to pay these people anymore. They're doing great. So every single case it's, you want to keep them, you need to pay them. It's a good time to be a pilot. It is. Yeah. Say that. <laughs> and it's actually, it's a good time to be a director of aviation, a good time to be a director of maintenance, good time to be a chief pilot. Not the greatest time to be a technician because, but technicians are like the unsung heroes in our industry and we can't get along without them and we're not making enough of them either. And that's like the, everybody talks about it, but, but, you know, you, as you saw on the pay thing, not everybody's doing what they need to do about it to keep these guys and gals. And we need to make more of them. We need to tell young people that it's not a, a shame for them to make a living with their hands. Absolutely. That is well said. We're so excited about this partnership going forward because it's me too. Like you said, it's things are always changing and um, keeping a pulse on the on the market is so important. And I like that. Seventy fifth percentile is so easy. Yeah. Yep. It's great. Well, and a lot of pilots say no things are changing. Yeah. It's very hard to quantify Mm -hmm. how much it's changed. Or Mm -hmm. like when everyone knows that oh, we're all getting raises in this, but but the quantify it is a whole different ballgame. And so that's mm-hmm. what's a great service that you provide, uh, Dr. Broyhill. We appreciate what you do and uh, getting down in the weeds with the numbers is something I don't think many of us want to do. So it's nice that we have a resource that does it for us. 
Well, and when you're uh, a geek like me, you love it. So <laughs> listen, I wasn't going to say it, but uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> listen, you can put Dr. Broyhill to work for you. We've got a link to the air comp calculator in the show notes. You can visit the website, print out a report, print out a few reports, and you can even hire Dr. Broyhill to talk to your HR folks, your C-suite executives, and explain where the numbers come from. Why is this justified? There's a lot of value in having an independent third party come in and help you explain the marketplace to your principal. So thank you so much for the service you provide, Dr. Broyhill. And uh, we're looking forward to our, our next quarterly check-in with you. And uh, we're hoping the numbers... Are, I'm hoping to see a stack of gold bricks on your desk. Okay, yeah, we'll have a bullion up here for you just to kind of frame the discussion somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, aircompcalculator.com. Thanks, Dr. Broyhill. Great, thank you, guys. All right. Well, that was awesome to hear from Dr. Broyhill. We're looking forward to those quarterly updates from him. What do you think? Salary numbers? If you had to bet one year from now, <laughs> think they're going up or down? Dude, uh, still up, I think. It's just crazy. Like, are we going to have this segment and then he's going to be like, well, bad news, guys. Uh, salaries contracted 10% yeah. this quarter. And uh, what do we do? Tight, time to tighten yeah. the belt. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Turn this one down if you're in the car with your chief pilot. We're now. gonna have to. We're gonna have to get another instrument like the the pay cut clarinet, <laughs> the pay cut piccolo. Now we'll have Gavin give us a, the pay cut recorder. I think he's starting band next year, fourth grade. So we're gonna see what instrument. I mean, his he's musical acumen is just <laughs> very apparent. So we gotta see what. Do they get assigned? Your kids are older. Do they get assigned or do they pick? Uh, they have a choice. There's a choice. So I wonder what he. It's a guided choice, right? Like no, that's right. Actually, that reminds me. He picked the mallets. Wow, yeah, that's boring. I was hoping yeah. it was a trombone. I think that we could have a good money. Aww. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a catchy something with money and mallets. I don't know. We'll All have right. to workshop that one. Okay, on to the main event. A great conversation with Chris and Jeremy. A really uh, eye opening, I would say. Learning a little bit more about what's going on in the cargo space. Here's what. When we started this conversation, I was so excited to talk about single pilot airliners, no pilot airliners. They got a lot of information. That yeah, I they think, sure did. That uh, I think you're going to be surprised because as I think most pilots know, like the reduced crews are coming. It's going to be in the cargo side first when we see that. So I think uh, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Here we go with Chris and Jeremy. All right, Max, we are so excited for this segment of the show. We're exploring a topic that for somehow we have avoided for 100 episodes yeah. in five years. I don't, I don't know how. <laughs> uh, so we're finally trying to rectify that. Um, today we have Chris and Jeremy joining us. They are both 121 cargo pilots flying large Boeing equipment all over the world, delivering your packages on time for the most part. Gentlemen, we really appreciate you joining us today. Give us a, a little education in the cargo space. You guys recently had a big cargo summit kind of sharing the state of, of where cargo flying is. Can you tell us a little bit about what you discussed and, and what the cargo summit is? Well, about a year ago, I had an idea that would be to get the cargo pilots in America, regardless of what uh, airline affiliation you were with or what union affiliation you were with, everybody together to discuss ongoing issues in the pilot profession affecting cargo pilots and the industry as a whole. In the past, it was very difficult to get all the carriers together because of different union affiliations and whatnot. And I happen to know some of the pilots over at Paletta 
And they introduced me to Jeremy and uh, we started talking about the idea and thought, you know, this would be great. And we started uh, a year ago with the first one and we had good attendance. There were about 10 or so airlines, everything from UPS, FedEx down to uh, Mesa, Coletta, ATI, ABX, you know, companies that uh, you never even heard of that haul freight on a regular basis. And uh, the idea was born and we decided to have a second one this year. And we expanded it this year to include carriers that haul belly freight. A lot of people don't know it, but uh, a lot of the freight in the world, especially U.S. mail, goes in the belly of passenger aircraft. So we had Southwest there. Hawaiian was there. They just got a contract with an e-commerce going to be hauling not only belly freight, but um, uh, regular cargo as well. Uh, 14 airlines there this year, three different unions represented. And uh, we talked about safety. We talked about collective bargaining. And we talked about topic that we're probably going to cover today is reduced crew and uh, autonomous vehicles and how that may play out in the future. And we also took the time to uh, do a charity drive for Pilots for Kids and raised over $2,000 to donate to Pilots for Kids charity that goes around to children's hospitals. Pilot volunteers in cities throughout the United States go donate airplanes and airplane memorabilia and stuff like that and visit kids in children's hospitals. So it was a productive meeting for not only bringing unity and, and ideas together within the uh, cargo pilot community, but I think it went really well. Jeremy, you can expand upon that. Sure, can. And gentlemen, first off, thanks for having us. I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, what Chris said, uh, he came to me and in our association, um, they had previously got everybody together one time before COVID hit, and we were talking about the 117 flight rules and the cargo carve out that affected all of us. Once Chris ended up coming uh, to me, I was like, this is such a great idea. We should do this with the union leadership and get everybody together and start to really collaborate with things that actually matter toward the cargo pilots. The idea is to get everybody to not necessarily, you know, one side of the table or the other side of the table, but at least we're looking at the same target. We don't have to be looking at the bullseye, but at least the same target. So. And these, the first meeting we had was absolutely fantastic. The second one, I, I think it went even better. So looking forward to the third one. Well, good. It's nice that you guys got that going. Uh, I'm sure it's beneficial to everybody. So you mentioned the reduced crew topic that was breached. And I think all of us have always kind of assumed that if there's a large airliner flown with reduced crew or an ultimately zero pilot, we, you know, I think everyone kind of thinks that it will be cargo first. Is, is that what you guys think? And kind of what was said? Absolutely. If you don't think it's here, you, you're sadly mistaken. It is already here. Uh, you can Google right now the purple tail. They're flying a uh, caravan with cargo on it already, completely unmanned. Uh, they're looking to do the reduced crew operations. Airbus is looking to eliminate every pilot in the cockpit. Boeing is looking to reduce it down to at least in keeping one pilot in the cockpit. But uh, if you Google, say, Nautilus aircraft, you're going to see big giant jets that are being produced. They're going to be completely unmanned. And these the reduced crew operations, it's going to end up in cargo first. That's where they're going to test everything out. You had shared a little bit about the Nautilus, but I mean, I mean when you start to think about an unmanned aircraft, do you think they'll have like a specific airport just for like unmanned airplanes first? Did, what, did, how deep did you guys get into these discussions about like what this actually looks like for the future of, of the industry? 
Well, that's pretty interesting that you say that because um, we started out with the topic on the agenda and we ended up by default learning more than anybody had planned because one of the speakers happened to be from the city of Chicago and um, he wasn't even there to talk about unmanned vehicles. But during his presentation, he was talking about the, uh, the build out phases for Chicago ORD Airport. And uh, they're in phase three of phase four of their plans for the future of how they're going to expand the airport. And he just happened to say that, oh, yeah, this portion of the airport is going to be for EVATOLs, you know, unmanned vehicles or you know, start out as manned and then eventually change to uh, completely autonomous. But to carry four to six passengers throughout the city of Chicago into ORD Airport. So they're already converting large airports in the United States to, to handle that type of aircraft. So, you know, it uh, looks like they're just going to skip right over, you know, remote places uh, and head right for the big cities. Wow. That's really interesting. I mean, it, just from from your takeaways, would you think that you feel like you could see a significant change in the next 10 years where we could be seeing a, a large, let's say, wide body cargo airplane operated with one pilot, you think, in 10 years? I would say 10 years, possibly, yes. Maybe it's even as short as five years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, the technology, everybody is racing now to be the first because whoever is the first to get approved and get it airborne, that's who the winner is going to be. So it, it's a race against time right now. What companies are at the forefront of that, would you say? Who's your money on? Airbus and Boeing. Uh, because in preparation for this um, summit, I talked to uh, a lot of the stakeholders in the industry that, that deal with drones and autonomous vehicles and reduced pilot and stuff like that. And Airbus and Boeing are working on it vigorously. Airbus um, is more public about it right now. If you do, if you search around enough on Google, you can find that the Airbus 350 in 2022 was flown with a single pilot who did not touch the controls and they were able to and the way I understand, take off the airplane, fly it around, bring it back, land it, taxi to the gate, and the pilot, the single pilot was on board, never touched the controls. The rumor is, and I think you might be able to find somewhere on the internet, that all Airbus aircraft from uh, some point on, either this year or next, are going to be built to be autonomous. They'll still have, you know, the cockpit and you know, place for captain, first officer, but they're going to be built with the technology to be able to fly the airplane from the ground completely. And the reason that poses a big threat to especially the cargo industry is those aircraft are already certified to fly in the air with pilots. Uh, you know, everything has been flight tested. They only have to prove that they can fly the thing safely from the ground with one pilot or without a pilot. Whereas some of these drone companies like Nautilus, they're starting with a completely new aircraft and have to work from the ground up and work on certification that could take anywhere from 10 to 12 years just to get certified where Boeing and Airbus already have the airframe and everything's already approved. So they just have to have the technology to um, operate and it appears they already do have it. It's just, how do you go about working that into the air system? And is it going to, you know, what problems are going to pop up? And part of the summit that we talked about this year, last year was kind of get together meet and greet. Everybody learns what goes on at other carriers because there's a lot of cargo carriers out there. I mean, it's not just UPS and FedEx. There's a tremendous amount of carriers that fly freight for other entities out there. 
And this year we had a goal of let's actually do something. Let's set some goals. Let's accomplish some things. So we had a workshop where after the presentation of reduced pilot, we broke off into smaller groups and we made sure that each table had pilots from different airlines. So it was people that you um, had a common interest in, but wasn't the same people that you would see when you go to work every day. And mixed in with that, we had some people from the NTSB and some other stakeholders in the industry. And we said, here is your job and your task for the next hour. We want you to talk about all the problems that potentially could arise with reduced crew or no crew. And what are some talking points that probably the FAA, the public, the NTSB, Congress would want to know and have questions to before they certify something to go single pilot? And we got some really good feedback. And uh, I'm trying to find the document right now so that I can so this was a, this was a complete experiment that we had, and like Chris said, you know, we mixed everybody up at the table. So, you know, all the FedEx guys were sitting together, all the Coletta guys weren't sitting together, all you know, UPS guys weren't sitting together. Uh, you were all interchanged, and you know, we anticipated this to go on for about an hour, and the collaboration was just absolutely amazing. But I want to piggyback a little bit about uh, you know, Chris laid mentioned to what was going on with Airbus, and I'll tell you. We were briefed about Boeing as well. Boeing has already tested a plane, and I believe it was a 777. Uh, they simulated it over 30 West. I said, you know what? Oh, my goodness. You know, they, something went wrong with an engine. They shut an engine down. Plane starts to divert. And then they said, okay, the, the captain just went incapacitated. So the plane made all the radio calls, diverted, landed, stopped, taxi cleared the runway, and that was it. No interaction whatsoever. Wow. Hmm. It's coming. Yeah. So if you, if you don't think it's coming for the, it's going to come to the cargo first. And once it gets approved through the cargo, which it'll probably at that point, uh, you know, give it one or two years. And then the airlines are going to start feeding into it too. One of the most important things that we had pointed out to us from a former member of the NTSB. Um, he's actually a speaker that's, uh, very available for you know shows and presentations like this. We might be able to get him uh, to come on your show someday if you're interested. Former accident investigator. Um, he's he's a contributor to uh, MSNBC and a couple of the other programs as a as an expert. He got up there and said what he believes is the single most important thing that every regulator needs to think about is that no computer can be taught just basic human instinct like the split second decision that sully had to make to land the aircraft in the water he's like i could see that they're going to have to try to program for all these different scenarios what if both engines go out it's going to try to calculate where's the closest airport if you can't land at an airport where's it going to put the airplane is it going to make the decision that it should go in the water or is it going to try to put it on a road or is it going to go down in the city or is it going to try for the airport and realize when it started to turn that direction, it's not going to make it. And you may have passengers in the back. What if you only have one pilot on there and you don't have the chance to interact with your partner to say, what do you think? Where are we going to go? You know, they're, they're expecting that a computer can have instinct and he just does not think it's possible. And he thinks that they have a, a, a tough road ahead of them to try to duplicate what two human beings can processed in their brain and make decisions based off of what's happening at the moment. And he's like, a lot of accidents 
you just can't predict what's going to happen. If, if, if you can predict what's going to happen, there probably would have been a procedure in place or a, some type of instrumentation or, or system to prevent that. The accidents happen because something went wrong. And how can you, how can you program a computer to think of every possible scenario as failure? And, you know, what we as pilots are trained to do is deal with every situation, run a checklist, make decisions. What if we don't have a checklist for it? We make do and try to get the airplane safely on the ground. He just doesn't think it's possible and the technology is not there right now. Although they have the ability, you know, in nice weather to take airplanes off and land them and stuff like that. It's like, okay, we start throwing in these other factors of what could break on the airplane. What's the weather like? How does it integrate with aircraft that already have pilots on it? There's a long road ahead. So although the technology is there to take off and land the airplane, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of answers right now for what do they do in different types of scenarios that are unpredictable. Well, and the scariest part as well is a computer doesn't have the willingness to live. Right. That's well said. Yeah. It, it, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what kind of process there would be for certification of such a thing where, you know, and like you said, Chris, it's a, uh, there's a, certainly a long road ahead and a lot of considerations beyond just the normal flight, you know, which is, we, we certainly don't train for the normal flight. So, so one question, one last question to piggyback on that. So if you were a 30 year old cargo pilot, would you be concerned? Oh yes, absolutely. I, I think if I was a 30 year old commercial pilot, yeah, I would be concerned. It's interesting. I mean, you can kind of see like how it'll come and then the company will come to the pilots and be like, oh, you know, there's only going to be one, but good news, you're going to get the salaries of both pilots, you know, and that'll be the way that they, yeah. get, they, they sell it that way, you know, oh, great. So you're going to still, you're going to make twice the money, but there'll only be one yeah. of you. you so, know? Somehow I don't think is, this going to happen. No, they're going to say the good news is we're giving everybody double the pay. The yeah. bad news is, is we're never going to hire another pilot again. So as yeah. attrition takes place, then we're just going to win. And then everyone's, you know, pilots, have been known to vote in the there interest of only themselves before. So who knows? You know, yeah. we, you can sit here and spit out ball it all day about how it's going to go down, but I don't think there's any doubt that ultimately it's going to go down. So well, didn't every pilot just want to sit at home and uh, work from home? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Your, oppor- your opportunity to do that may be coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. What you wish for. Get rid of the um, suitcase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Still find something to complain about, though. The document that we that everybody contributed in the workshop, some of the things that we also thought about were what kind of an economic impact will that have on the country if you no longer need uh, two pilots getting hotel rooms, buying food out on the road, transportation. I mean, uh, just the, the sheer number of two-man and three-man crews throughout the world every day spending money into the economy for travel transportation outside of the airplane you know they're they all use hotels and they all buy food and what kind of an economic impact is that going to have what kind of economic impact is it going to have outside of just trying to save the company a little bit of money uh what businesses are going to suffer as a result of reducing the total number of crew members needed throughout the world and what's it going to do whenever you. you take away that person's salary and now he has to do something different you're taking away tax dollars. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't sound like a lot when you think about it. Well, it's only one pilot, but look how many pilot, thousands and hundreds of thousands of pilots there are throughout the world. Think about what the price of a beer at a hotel is going to do. 
Mm. I mean, with that kind of drop in demand, the prices yeah. would just plummet <laughs> for your typical. Applebee's riblets uh, could be in real trouble. <laughs> oh, man. It, it's, it is a good point. Any other thoughts on the on the single pilot reduced crew stuff that uh, any other takeaways you thought might be interesting for us to know about? There is a takeaway. You know, you, what you need to do right now is, you know, every group has got some kind of legislative uh, affairs person. And you need to start reaching out and helping to support these guys because you we need as pilots, believe it or not, you got to educate some of the pilots. You got to educate the legislative folks. They need to go and educate the senators and congressmen and people up on the Hill to say, look, we, you do not want this. You know, this is uh this is a bad thing. This is, they're trying to sell it as this. If, you know, look, there's a shortage of pilots, so we can't get you to your home airport anymore. Well, that's not what the case is. There's not a shortage of pilots out there. There's enough ATPs uh, coming through the pipeline right now. Now, later on, possibly not. But right now, there are. And But what the airlines are doing is saying, hey, look, you know, we can, uh, we can make more money by just going hub to hub versus, you know, to some small airport out in Traverse City or something along those lines. It's going to end up affecting us all. And in order to push back, it's going to have to be through the legislation. And one interesting thing to note is there's evidence out there that Boeing and Airbus are some of the largest contributors in uh, Washington, D.C. as lobbyists for legislation. So there's statistics out there showing that, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars are being funneled into research and development for reduced crew and autonomous aircraft. And the, the ones who are spending the most money on it are also spending the most to influence politicians and how they think. So they're already setting themselves up for uh, getting approval. And you don't hear much about it. When you Google it and you look, look at Airbus, there's some information out there, but they're trying to do it under the auspice. Well, we're trying to improve safety for the troop two-man crews, which is just a cover for we're trying to get rid of a pilot and maybe both of them to reduce costs. And we think we can do it with technology. And they're trying to take a lot of people's jobs. And, you know, the same people do studies and say, well, this, we're going to be this many pilots short. And you got, you know, people out there trying to convince young people to become pilots. And then, OK, we're going to you're going to be a pilot, but we only need you for maybe 15 years. So you're going to have a midlife crisis because you're not going to have a job because we're going to try to do it with something cheaper. You know, everything, everybody laugh whenever uh, you check yourself out at the grocery store and uh, it'll never work. People won't do that. Now you walk in there and you're kind of, you know, pissed off if you can't just walk up to one of those things and scan a few items and get out of there. And it's no big deal. Look at the fast food companies now too. They do the same thing. You know, you go up, you tap your buttons and, you know, wham, bam, there you go. There's your, uh, you know, cocktail or whatever. The one thing that we do have going for us is the fact that the cybersecurity aspect of it yeah. Good luck with that. Tell me one device that we have nowadays that is not been hacked. So that's one of the hangups that these companies are having right now. Yeah. Well, I would counter that with saying the U.S. government's been flying drones for 20 years, and I haven't heard about the government it, drone getting hacked yet. Well, and I'll counter that with if you were to know how many drones they actually lose. Uh, that's yeah, a good point. Signal. I don't know that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, well, in preparation for our summit, I did a lot of research online just looking to see is there a database somewhere that keeps track of government drones and how many have crashed. And I eventually found one that tracked all the drones, not only from the United States, but different countries. 
And almost on a monthly basis, somewhere in the world, there's a drone crash. From, and a lot of them are in the United States. And uh, I talked to a military pilot and he said, I just don't think the technology is there. He's like, there are so many things that they don't get right. And we lose so many drones when there's weather or there's system failure or something like that. He's like, we crash them all the time. And this wow. database basically showed that, you know, there were a lot of U.S. drones, probably one a month was down somewhere. And, you know, so they're working on this technology they're pouring a tremendous amount of money into it. They're doing it all under the radar. And the public right now, would, if you said, hey, would you go on an airplane with one or no pilots and fly across the country? Probably seven out of 10, maybe nine out of 10 people would say, no, I'd prefer to have two human beings up there flying me. But what are they going to do if they say, well, your only option is one or none at all? Are you going to take a train? Are you going to you're going to drive three days across the country? Eventually, people will just accept it. They may not like it, but if they want to get somewhere, um, because that's now the uh, the norm, they'll do it. Everybody's resistant to change until it's the only option. You know, so uh, I think we need to be working now as pilots to preserve the profession. And it's not just because, uh, you know, losing jobs, that's that's huge. But this is something that is brand new. And I think it needs to be thoroughly vetted in a very, very, very staunch, um, rigorous certification process, because you're talking about a lot of people's lives in addition to not just jobs. And that's the most important thing. And I, I called a specific, uh, you know, government certifying agency whenever we started all this. And I said, hey, can you let, put me in touch? If I had a drone the size of, say, a 747 or a 777 and I want to get certified, he's like, um, uh, we don't have anybody. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's good. Who would who would you go to? He's like, well, I guess we'd go to the 74 or 777, you know, certification department and you talk to them. So the one thing that we have working for us is every thing has got to get past the U.S. government. And I hate to say this on a public forum, but, you know, it doesn't always work fast. Whenever you work through the U.S. government, you know, when's the last time you got your driver's license renewed or, <laughs> yeah. you know, so the, the certification process is probably going to be thoroughly vetted and take quite a long time. So we might be a few years off, but the technology certainly is already there. It's just a matter of perfecting it and convincing the right people. And, and I think this message is going to resonate with people more and more, especially pilots, because what's happening with ChatGPT and other AI that's out there that's being released in the public right now and is already putting people out of work, th that I think is going to heighten the awareness that, yeah, I know that's just a computer text thing right now, but those same issues are going to be our issues at some point. And so the time is now. Like We, we have the luxury of a few more years. Uh, on a lot of that. And, and so, but you got to be active now to protect the profession. So those are some great points, fellas. Max, did you have something? I kind of wanted to move on to another thing. I was talking to a bunch of uh, or three different guys that work for, for big freight carriers. And we were talking about lithium batteries and, you know, it's a big concern with the past airlines, you know, of a laptop or whatever, but what if you're carrying a pallet of lithium batteries and there was that high profile accident um, where UPS that was like out in the Middle East, right? And they had a lithium battery fire, a big one, and and they ended up losing the airplane. As cargo pilots and, and freight guys, do you guys haul lithium ion? Does everybody do so? We some do. People, how much? Like, what's what are your concerns? Like, what happens if it lights on fire? Like, kind of, can you break that down for us? Well, you, you hope to God that it never does light on fire. 
During the cargo summit, we did learn that there's two fires a week on all airlines. So whether that's cargo or passengers, most of those are batteries from your cell phone going, you know, thermal or a battery uh, in a computer. But we have had the lithium batteries. Unfortunately, the UPS crash that you mentioned, which was very tragic. Once they go thermal, that's pretty much it. You're not going to get those to stop at that point. What we can tell you, though, is that there is technology out there. And right now, UPS is really uh, the main forefront in purchasing these containers. And hopefully through legislation or just through pure everybody wants to do the right thing, that's a micro-light container. And what this container can do is instead of an aluminum container, this particular material, the harder you beat it or the hotter it gets, the stronger it gets. It's been known to contain a fire for up to six hours, which when you're out over 30 west in the middle of the ocean, out in the Atlantic, any amount of time, minutes matter at that point. But to have hours to go do something is fantastic. So this container can also contain the fire. And then they also have some of the containers that have a suppression in this container to help to subdue the fire as well. So you can get on the ground. Let me guess though. The only problem is it's not so light. Is it, well, is it actually, it, it is it is lighter than the aluminum container. So in the long run, right, it's going to save the company's money. So there's an incentive that, hey, we should all be purchasing these things. Uh, the downside is, of course, it's a new product and it costs more money. So, you know, you got to pay for that production and, you know, the invention of it as well. And uh, UPS, uh, they've had two uh, fires and I think they've had enough of it and they, they've switched to that container and I think they've got their entire fleet covered now from what we understand, but they're the only ones so far that have uh, taken the initiative to put money into it uh, for safety purposes. And, you know, one of the things that I learned when I first became a cargo pilot, I just assumed that the entire aircraft had, you know, extinguishers uh, throughout and whatnot. And I came to find in basic in-dock that no, they don't. Uh, the top deck where the passengers sit, once it's converted, if there's a fire up there, the way you put it out is you try to snuff it out by uh, depressurizing the aircraft. So there's no real fire suppression other than just uh, depressurizing the aircraft and get it on the ground and hope that it doesn't, uh, you know, spread while while you're going. And there's an interesting statistic. I'll try to walk people through a visual profile. You know, you take off, there's the climb portion, there's the cruise, and there's the descent. There's a 22% chance of having an accident during the takeoff phase. That's when most accidents and incidents will be recorded in the takeoff phase. During the cruise phase is the safest portion. And then on the descent and approach, there's a 61% chance that you could have an incident or accident. So 83% of the time, takeoff or landing, descent, climb, you're going to have uh, some type of incident if there's going to be one, but not during the cruise. But with batteries, it's likely in the cruise phase where something is going to go wrong. And through accidents that have happened, Loss of control of the airplane can happen in 17 to 19 minutes where you don't have the airplane on the ground. And, you know, for anybody that flies above 30,000 feet, until you figure out what's going on and try to find somewhere to land and, you know, get pointed that direction and then start the descent, you're pushing the envelope on that 17 to 19 minutes if you're going to land it on a piece Mm. of pavement. You know, you may have to make the decision if you're over water or land something just to get the thing on the ground because. We studied the UPS crash, and um, usually what ends up happening is there's so much smoke that you can't see the instrument panel. The captain ran out of oxygen. He got up to go to, to grab an external one or, or, or another 
you know, source of oxygen and it never came back. And the FO uh, was, you know, consumed and uh, the, the fire had gone through the controls. He disconnected the autopilot and had no control. And um, so, you know, a lot of people might think that this is just germane to the cargo carriers. It's not because, as we were saying earlier, a lot of the passenger carriers sell empty space on the bottom and haul belly freight. And although there are rules about what can and cannot go on passenger aircraft, there's not a lot of regulation that they're checking to make sure that what is in that cargo is actually what it says is in that cargo. And even in cargo airplanes, if they are following all the rules and they know how many batteries are there, if they're charged over a certain point, that is illegal. And, and if they're over 30% state of charge, they can't do that. They purchased, uh, they did a study and purchased some batteries from e-commerce and shipped them by air. And 90% were not compliant and they all made it through. <laughs> they wound up illegally on, on passenger flights. Don't feel that the passenger carriers are, are out of this mix as well because, you know, these batteries, a lot of times, you know, they'll, they'll end up in passenger bags or they'll get shipped. You know, when you have dangerous goods that, you know, somebody sends through the postal service, um, somebody will save six bucks. You know, do you have anything, you know, to declare? Well, well, no, 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 nothing to declare here. You know, they'll save money, ship it through. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times that we've discovered that, you know, this is uh, a very dangerous situation. I want to say it was a FedEx shipment that these batteries had gone through. I think they flew on two different aircraft um, up into Canada. And then the truck, they ended up going thermal in the back of the truck. And if you were to see pictures of this truck, it was literally burned to the ground. And all you could see is a silhouette that was burned into the road from the trailer. I, I found the statistics here. I want to read it off right from the slide so there's no misunderstanding. Batteries not contained in equipment are supposed to be shipped at 30% state of charge. Online purchases mm -hmm. of batteries from e-commerce and shipped by air show that 90% were non-compliant with the regulation. There were 20 total that were tested. Only one was less than 30%. 10 were 30 to 50% and nine were over 50%. Some wound up illegally on passenger flights via USPS. So gentlemen, we fly over when the new iPhones come out. We're the guys over there that fly over there, pick up all these iPhones or, you know, Samsung's or whatever it is. And I'm talking planeful, thousands of them. And we're flying them back. And Chris just told you what, you know, a few of them were actually legal. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, and the, the crazy thing is, is that if there is some type of fire, it's not like you've got a flight attendant back there and other passengers that are going to sound the alarm, right? It's going to be burning for a while before you may even know. Correct. Yeah, that's got to be the new scariest uh, yeah. scenario is being over the water with that situation going on. I mean, you have to seriously consider ditching the airplane in the water. I mean, quickly, like emergency descent to ditch, right? I mean, yeah. is, that, is there a procedure for that? Or what did you guys, is that <laughs> when what When I was a do? first officer, we had a captain that that's what he was going to do, ditch it in the Atlantic in the wintertime. And we're not going to do that. We're, you know, we'll. We'll fight it the best we can first, but we're not just going straight to the ditching. But what about uh, the Pacific? What if you're, yeah, yeah, right. What if, if it's, it's warm? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to be close to the ocean, ocean though, the whole way because you never know whenever it's going to burn right through the control surfaces. I want to be close to the water when it does burn through. Well, and then you look for the island in the Pacific where Amelia's at, and hopefully you meet up with her. That's right. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> wow. 
All right, guys. So I have a question that I was thinking about the other day, and and you know, kind of going back to nine eleven, how the the paradigm shift about people wanting to use airplanes as weapons. You know, nowadays I look around, no passenger U.S. passenger airlines fly the seven forty seven yet. The last one that rolled off the assembly line went to Atlas, right? And they, and they so the, you guys fly a lot of the the bigger equipment in the country. And and my question is on security. Like, so on we don't know much about that side of the airport and what kind of security protocols there are. And I was just thinking, is it, I mean, is it feasible that somebody could stow away in a cargo container? I mean, are those x-ray, like how, how do you keep people you don't want off of your airplane and what's the security environment look like? So I'll tell you, you know, to be on the other side of the airport, you still have to have a side of badge. You still got to go through a background check, you know, yada, yada, yada. However, I'll tell you a quick story. We'll leave the uh, airline anonymous. Uh, this just happened recently. A little scary. But, you know, one of the ramp guys fell asleep in, in one of the containers, you know, decided to take a, take a nap. Next thing you know, he, he wakes up in cruise. And uh, luckily, I, I believe this was an Airbus. So they had the wall was separated. He couldn't reach the cockpit. But, you know, all of a sudden he dings on the buzzer and the pilots are like, what's going on? Who Who's here? You know, so they ended up figuring all this out, but I mean, it very well could have been somebody else, right? Trying to take over the aircraft if they wanted to. Now on my airplane, you know, all I have is a curtain. That's it. There's no doors. So if somebody were to stow away on the aircraft or, you know, if we have a handler, right? So we carry live animals a lot of times as well. Now let's just say we have a, all these handlers also carry tranquilizers with them and these tranquilizers are used to put down whatever animal whether it be a horse or a cow or something like that if they start to go crazy on the airplane they've got a tranquilizer to you know or or they can even euthanize them right then and there so what's to stop them from coming up and you know taking out a pilot well, well i don't know jeremy that's what i'm asking you <laughs> yeah well that's that's the 99 question just, yeah, just well, in case this uh, podcast gets into the wrong hands, if there's anybody out there that has any ideas, most of these airplanes that are flying have cargo in the back. We got three or four pilots up there, two of them that are just ready to bust somebody's ass if you come up there and that's right. Head on and out. That's right. <laughs> you, get, you have to have at least a brown belt in uh, self defense. Uh, right. To get hired. So is is security an issue? Absolutely. Yeah, as a cargo pilot, you're allowed to be an FFDO, and I've flown with them. So it's very well possible that if somebody decides they're going to stick their head in the cockpit mid-flight, they might get it blown off because there are some guys that carry guns, and uh, there are weapons in there like the crash axe and whatnot, and there are people that uh, are extra pilots that aren't at the controls that are you know, somewhere on the aircraft. So the, everything is supposed to be screened, all the cargo, for anything that's not supposed to be on there until uh, it comes out on the ramp. And, um, you know, it's it's not supposed to happen. And like the scenario that uh, Jeremy introduced, that container likely was already on the aircraft and he just called, crawled inside of it. They threw a few more containers on the way it went. It wasn't like he jumped inside of it in the, um, he would have woken up. If he, if they if he would have jumped in in the warehouse right. and driving it out across the ramp and everything, he would have been bounced around. He would, it, it definitely would have woke him up. So it's highly unlikely because of the way the containers are loaded and then sealed up and then brought out there. They would have to be buried deep inside of a box. And, uh, you know, I, I think everything would be screened and they would probably likely be caught before they would get out there. Kind of off topic a little bit, but this might be interesting to add in somewhere. 
I was on a flight uh, just a few weeks ago, and we got on the aircraft in Germany, and we all looked at each other like, who was smoking weed in this airplane? Uh, it smelled <laughs> like weed like you would not believe, like somebody had just had a frat party in there. And we all kind of looked at each other and, um, you know, motioned for the loader to come up and said, what's the deal here? He's, he's like, yeah, I know everybody in the back that's loading the airplane. We smell it on the upper deck. We smell it on the lower deck. And we're like, well, yeah, you got to get the proper authorities out here because we're, we're not going like this. This is, you know, we got to figure out what's going on here. So they do their thing, you know, it goes up the food chain and um, supervisors say, well, you, you know, take the, uh, take the freight off the bottom. And we said, well, wait a second here. You know, you said you smell it. We smell it up here in the cockpit, too. So, you know, all the freight's got to come off. We want it inspected. Bring the dogs up here. You know, we got to find the source of this and make sure it's not on the aircraft because we're not going to fly an airplane back into the United States with weed on it. And then they go, what the hell's going on here? Plus, we don't want to inhale the stuff the whole way across the ocean. This all went on for about two hours before they got everything unloaded and brought the dogs out and everything. The dogs went crazy on one particular container. They took that container off and they come back and we said, well, you know, how much weed was in there? Are you sure you got it all? Oh, no, it wasn't weed. It was a weed, you know, something that smelled like weed, but it wasn't really weed. Like it fooled the dogs. <laughs> and uh, they said it was an amino acid that was packed properly, but it had spilled and it smells a lot like weed. So it wasn't really marijuana. And um, so we're like, okay, well, they, you know, we were, we were pretty comfortable. We saw the dogs themselves. They, they scanned the rest of the containers that were put on the aircraft when we went upon our way. But the whole way across the ocean, we're talking like, it's going to happen when we get to the other side of the United States. You know, who made what phone calls and how much searching are they going to do on this aircraft? And did they really find everything? And, you know, what's our liability going to be? Because at our previous cargo summit, we had the cargo jet pilots from Canada had told us that they ran into a situation that they had never ran into before because certain parts, it was legal to transport marijuana. And they said they take off and land, the whole aircraft smells like marijuana. And there were never any problems until the aircraft had to divert somewhere where marijuana wasn't legal. And the crew was detained because they were flying an airplane full of marijuana. And uh, the authorities had to sort out what they were going to do because they just landed this aircraft full of weed. Not related to, you know, human beings still anyway on board, but what do you do now that part of the country and part of the world legalized marijuana and other parts didn't? You got to ship it somehow. And, uh, you know, what's how's it get somewhere on trucks? You know, I mean, driving through states that are illegal. So it's something that's interesting. It's probably going to develop over time. And uh, probably a lot of stories out there that would be interesting to see how they actually are getting around the uh, different state laws and whatnot. It would just be a, such a bummer of a way to go. World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're going to go happy and hungry. I uh, guess. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, another thing I'm really interested about in, in, in the freight business is the whole state of that industry with the pilot situation that we're experiencing. I was with some pilots that work for freight companies, and they've been, you know, dealing with staggering losses pilots to other carriers and et cetera. So what does that look like on the, your guys' side of the business? And is that, are people having to really any up similar to the regionals, certain carriers and, and really dangle that carrot with compensation and stuff to keep pilots or what does that look like? Well, it's been very interesting, you know, as everybody keeps raising the bar, you know, whether it's the majors or even the regionals, a lot of the freight companies, especially the ACMI carriers have not really done anything just yet. So, which is pretty sad, 
you know, you don't want to see her scraping the bottom of the barrel, but when you're getting guys that only meet the 1500 hour minimums, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of getting down there. You know, now I was, I was frustrated to hear that some of these companies out there that uh, they're not doing anything, but you know, then I look at it to the sense that the longer they wait, the higher that bar goes, you know, you're going to have to meet that demand at some point in time, because right now it's kind of like a, a, a land grab only with pilots at this point, everybody needs pilots. I believe United said they needed 11,000 this year. Uh, Delta just lowered their minimum turbine time to a thousand hours. Southwest just lowered theirs minimum turbine time to 500 hours. And I know companies out there that, you know, they've hired individuals that did not have their ATP, had to send them back home to finish getting cross-country time uh, in order to qualify them for their ATP. So I think everybody's hurting right now when it comes to the cargo industry. Now, the big ones, UPS and FedEx, FedEx is obviously going through negotiations right now. You know, they just authorized the strike almost 100%, by the way. And their turnout was, I think, 99%. It was absolutely amazing. Wow. So it's understandable. They're getting rid of their MD-11s. They're kind of reshuffling, reorganizing their structure. So plus, you know, their company is, I'm sure, doing poor right now. And, you know, they can't afford to pay pilots anything, you know, what we're worth. However, you you know, it's just a matter of time before they're going to have to come to the table. They're just, you know, kicking the can as far down the road as they can. UPS, I think, mentioned they were going to do a little restructuring as well, but they're still going to start hiring here later on this summer. As far as every other cargo carrier, and, you know, Chris, stop me if I'm saying something wrong. I think every other cargo carrier out there, with the exception of those two, if you have a pulse and a willingness to fly, they're going to take you. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's not like you're putting them in little turbo props either. Right. And no. And, and we could tell you stories of companies that we know that people have gone to work there with turbo prop experience or just prop experience. And now they're flying a 767, you know, all over the world. And, you know, I'll expand upon what Jeremy's saying. For those that don't know, there's UPS and FedEx. They haul their own freight. You, you know, you pay to ship a box and they ship it. When he says ACMI, what that means is aircraft crew, maintenance, and insurance. There are companies out there, and there are a lot of them, that um, own or lease aircraft to you know foreign companies that cannot own a U.S. company that want to ship freight in the United States, or other e-commerce companies who have a lot of freight they want to move, who don't necessarily want to own an airline, but they, they have a need for shipping. So these ACMI carriers are paid a little bit less than what you know UPS and FedEx make, and it's it's a cheaper rate. So the pilots, therefore, don't have as good as contracts as what UPS and FedEx do. And they're kind of in the, the mode right now where the regionals were about two years ago. It was denial, denial, denial that there's a pilot problem, denial they're not doing anything. Then there's a realization that there's a little bit of a problem, so they throw a few breadcrumbs at it doesn't fix the problem and then they hit the panic button like all right we got to double the salaries we got to start offering hundred thousand dollar bonuses at the regionals to attract and retain pilots the acmi carriers have yet to push the panic button they are still scraping along but they have lowered the standards to the bare minimum atp standards and like you said a 747 or a 767 777 is your first aircraft it sounds tremendous as a, as a brand new ATP holder, but you're putting your career in jeopardy of a potential bust 
right out of the gate. These ACMI carriers, quite a few of them are having, you know, only about a 70 or 80% success rate in people getting through initial. A lot of people wash out during initial operating experience. And then the, and then they have some failures at upgrade because the upgrade times are fairly low with some of these, you know, maybe 18 months or two years to upgrade to that type of aircraft. And why that's so different is because larger aircraft, you have to think about energy management. You got to think about your descents. You got to think about speed. And if you go to a regional airline flying an RJ, it's, it's a step up. You're flying a turbojet airplane. You still need to think about those things, but it's a lot more forgiving and it's a lot easier to learn. It's not quite as heavy. And you're domestic. Yeah. And, and uh, you're not flying over the ocean. Right. And you so know. when you when you put yourself in a, in a situation where you're in a very complex aircraft and in different parts of the world at night, you're probably tired. It sets yourself up for, you know, a challenging environment. And a lot of guys are saying, why would I want to fly a regional jet when I can go fly a 747 and fly around the world? Well, it's because you probably should get a little bit of experience and not put yourself in a situation. Some guys handle it just fine. Don't get me wrong. But there are others that uh, they come to work there and then, you know, a couple months later, they're regretting it because they're, they're back at a regional going, you know what, I probably shouldn't have done that so soon. I spent you know, over 15 years at a regional before I moved to the cargo world in the 7.6. And during my initial training, the, the hardest part I had was doing V1 cuts because I was used to the engines being on the tail and the, you lose an engine and an RJ just tap the rudder a little bit and fly on out of it. If you're not on top of it on a 767, you're going to lose control of the airplane pretty quick. You know, and after a couple of sims and coaching through it, you get through it. And then you get out online. And, you know, it, it took a good two months before I was completely 100% comfortable in landing the aircraft and learning the energy management and everything. But I already had the experience of, you know, being in the airspace and, and dealing with all the other aspects of right. a 121 operation. And you throw that on top of a very complex airplane. It is very challenging, and there's some that make it, and there's quite a few that, that don't or have a lot of IOE, and there's a lot of discussion being made. And that's just entries in, in your training records that somebody starting out a career, you don't need that type of stuff. You want to go somewhere. You want to pass your check ride. You want to get you know 500 or 1,000 hours, squeaky clean, pass your second check ride, onto the higher pay. You don't need to come to somewhere and fly the biggest piece of equipment right out of the gate and go, wow, look at me, I'm a 74 pilot, you know? Uh, that's not always the wisest choice. So there has to be a realization at some point from the ACMI sector, from the powers that be there, that they need to stop putting low-time pilots in these aircraft because, unfortunately, there was an ACMI carrier that had an accident uh, less than two years ago. It was a 767. And um, the NTSB, you can look online and find the report. And it was pilot error uh, from the pilot in the right seat. Um, he had washed out at several airlines. He lied on his application about um, where he had worked and how many times he had failed. And the PREA system, which is supposed to screen for a pilot's background, it didn't work. There's also a loophole in there that foreign pilots, if a foreign pilot comes into the country and wants to work for a U.S. carrier. All the carrier that he wants to work for has to do is make an attempt to get his records. And if they can't get his records, they can still hire him. So there's a lot of loopholes there in something that was supposed to fix things after the Buffalo crash that still have not been fixed. 
And that's a problem that the ACMI world is dealing with. That that could just spill over into the passenger world because, you know, you're potentially putting people who could someday maybe be a good pilot, but haven't, you know, paid their dues and got enough experience in smaller aircraft and you're putting them in something large. And unfortunately, we saw there was an accident, but, you know, it was only three people that died. There wasn't a lot of people in the back. There was a bunch of boxes. You heard about it for two or three days and you never heard a thing about it since. But had that airplane had 280 people on board, I guarantee you the Prius system would be changed right now. And there would be a lot of people that are, are out there flying aircraft that would need a little bit more training before they're cut loose. And um, that's a problem. And the best example about that one, how, uh, you know, cargo pilots are treated as secondhand citizens is the, uh, I think it was the recent Southwest and FedEx, uh, where FedEx, you know, went around, you know, everybody kind of knows that scenario. Yeah. When the newspaper put it out, I think it was New York Times, it was 128 people's lives were saved, you know, because FedEx had gone around. When actually it was 121 people, they forgot to mention the three pilots that were on board the FedEx plane. Jeez. They, they did not count those people. It's a good transition into the, my next question. It's a very abrupt example of what I would call a carve out, right? And I think one of the the crazy carve outs that still exists right now is in the 117 rest rules, which I, I don't believe that cargo pilots get to enjoy the same type of rest rules uh, as airline pilots. Can you talk for a couple minutes about that and if there's any sign of reform? So I'll mention it a little bit. So the carve out for people that don't are unaware of it, it happened at the last minute, you know, at the waking hour, the UPS lobbyist managed to obtain this carve out. So that's where it came from. That's why we were carved out of the whole situation and 117 was left for everybody else. I think as of now, you know, I, I know there's a lot of companies out there still investigating one way or the other, but we're ultimately looking for one level of safety for everybody. Yeah, it seems crazy that uh, the rest could be different when you're operating the same type of equipment as everybody else. It's, just, it's only different because what's in the back, that seems uh, obviously ludicrous, crazy. doesn't it? It does seem ludicrous. It's uh, we're, we're operating in the same airspace, flying the same place as you guys are. And uh, yet here's another example as well. You know, a lot of us cargo guys will go into austerior airports and we may not require the same fire suppression that you do. So if there's even anybody there at all, you know, yeah, and, and not to mention, you know, it's the, the not the same rest requirements, but a lot of times, especially for the night freight pilots, you know, you're dealing with fragmented sleep and like all these other confounding factors that would, you know, it's arguably you could need more rest to recover from. So that's, uh, if, that's while we're I'm talking right. about carve outs, one of the ones that is, is not talked about a lot that was brought up at the summit is uh, TCAS. Initially, TCAS was not required for cargo aircraft. And then there was an incident in Europe where uh, the president of the United States was flying in a 747 and a uh, cargo aircraft from the United States nearly hit Air Force One. And um, the president, by the end of that year, had signed a resolution that said that the cargo aircraft had to be outfitted with TCAS. And uh, so, you know, it almost took you know, a mid-air collision with the president to get cargo to have to put TCAS in the airplane. So that particular presentation where, where, where 117 carve-out was talked about and the TCAS was carved out, it led into cargo pilots were probably going to be the guinea pigs for reduced crew. Uh, it, just, it just, everybody looks at cargo and go, well, it's only, you know, two or three guys and 
let's just try it there and see how it works. And if it works, then we can just, you know, try to transition the passenger world into it. So, you know, that was probably part of the main reason we decided to put this summit together is get all the cargo pilots working together to say, we need to make this safer for everybody. We need to make the profession better. And regardless of what airline or union you're a part of, we all need to work together to make this a better profession for not only us, but for you know, future generations to come. Absolutely. It's the same as, you know, every rule that's pretty much out there was something that was an accident or an incident, right? Everybody can agree to that. You know, most of the rules that are there are written in blood in some way, shape or form. Well, what we're trying to attempt to do here is we want to be, you know, proactive instead of reactive. And in order to do that, we need to work together as a group, you know. Absolutely. Well, I I would say, We've spent a lot of time talking about some of the issues facing the industry, but I, I do think it is still an awesome sector of the industry for the right person to work in. So can you talk a little bit about kind of some of the benefits of being a cargo pilot? What are the things that you enjoy? What do you what makes a good cargo pilot? What is the good fit for folks that are listening that, that might be interested in, in flying in this sector? I'll tell you what, I've never had a single box. I know we all laugh and joke about this. Never had a single box complain that I was delayed, missed a connection, you know, had a bad landing, turbulence. Fight uh, another box. Yeah. <laughs> fight another box. Absolutely. You know, so refuse to wear a that, mask. That absolutely <laughs> um, is fantastic. Being ACMI, I mean, you travel all over the world. You know, at one point in our time, you know, we were pretty heavy over in Asia. You know, then we were heavy over in the Pacific and So you get to see all parts of the world and a lot of time you get some time off to go and explore a little bit as well. So there are some good parts. Yeah. I would say that um, that some of the good parts that I recognize right off, right out of the gate were you walk out to your airplane, you do your pre-flight. There's a load master that brings up the uh, load verification. You verify that, you know, what's on there is make sure the weight balance good and off you go. And um, you usually have two or three people, depending on where you're going, and you rotate flying and rest periods up there, and you land and you go to the hotel. And some of the... Oh, well, hold on. Don't forget the catering now. Yeah, there is catering. Yeah. It's questionable. There, there, there's, there's plenty of catering. Yeah, I mean, depending on what country you're coming out of, it can be really good or it can be very, you know, it's their taste, you know, so you got to learn to adapt. Well, that, yeah, that is true. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a totally different aspect. Than, than passenger flying. There's no terminals. It's not glamorous by any means. I mean, you you show up and most of the, the hubs, you're you're right in there with uh, the guys that are loading it and then you're in uniform and they're, you know, dressed for the weather or whatever. And you ride out on a van and you climb upstairs and you lug your bags up two stories and throw them, stuff them in there. And away you go. Some of the benefits, you know, some of the carriers have Long weekends, there's certain foreign carriers that, uh, you know, they'll fly somewhere to be to get in Friday morning and not leave until Monday night. You got got a very long weekend. A lot of the impression of cargo flying is it's all night flying. And that's not the case. There's there's probably depending on which carrier you work for and whose freight you're hauling. I would say 65 to 70 percent might be night. But there's also about, you know, 30 percent that's daytime flying. Yeah, a lot of that is starting to change, especially with this e-commerce where everybody, you know, since COVID, everybody wants everything yesterday. You know, and so if, that means more flying, day flying? Yeah, more day flying. And, uh, you know, and if, if you do like the night flying, 
there's not near as much radio chatter on there. You can go 400 miles and never hear from anybody. You're doing a lot of radio chatter. Like, hey, you still there? Yeah, I'm sleeping. But what are you guys? Doing? Well, probably not close to the same thing. You know, we just didn't hear anybody for the longest time. So you don't have as much radio chatter. You go to the airport. You're the only one out there doing the approach unless you're going to a hub or whatever. So there, there are a lot of benefits that it's different. It's just if you do start out, you'll probably be going to doing the night stuff that a lot of people don't want to do because everything rolls downhill to the, you know, the lowest seniority that people don't want to do. Final thoughts. Is there a call to action? CargoSummit.org is our website. All pilots should keep an eye on reduced crew, reduced pilots in the cockpit and autonomous. And, you know, if you know influential people in, in Congress, FAA, NTSB, we really got to influence the industry that they need to take a serious look at this. We know it's coming someday, but it doesn't have to be rushed to the point. They don't need to save money that bad. You know, it, it's, it's not going to, if you ask somebody, would you, are you willing to pay the ticket prices to keep the airline safe? Because it's been a long time since there's been a fatal accident with passengers on board and we need to keep it that way. And if the technology is rushed just because, you know, certain companies want to save a buck and um, there's an accident, then everybody's going to start pointing fingers. And we need to make sure that if it's going to change that it is 100 percent safe and it shouldn't be rushed in any any shape or form. And it's going to take everybody influencing the policymakers to make sure that it's completely safe before it's put out there because look what happened unfortunately with the 737 match you know it was a it was a brand new airplane and, and uh you know technology on that airplane upgraded technology made the mistake what are you going to do whenever there's nobody on board you know it's 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 a really uh, scary thing to think about and it's here and there's a lot of uh industry that's pushing for it right now without uh, really taking the time to make sure that it's it's vetted and safe Support your union, support your legislation. Both well said, fellas. Well, we appreciate uh, you making some time to come in and chat with us. We'll have a link to the Carmago Summit website in the show notes so people can check that out. Uh, I expect you guys are going to have another event uh, next year. Absolutely. I believe we're looking at the end of January now. Are we good to go with that, Chris? Uh, probably. And uh, one last final thing. Let's not forget the charity drive. If, if pilots out there have not heard about Pilots for Kids, it was started uh, over 20 years ago by an Airborne Express uh, captain, and he's still one of the board members on it. And uh, for 25 bucks a year, you can be a member, and that money will go directly to uh, toys. They're a nonprofit organization. They buy toys. You can even volunteer if you want in your city to take those toys to the children's hospital. It's really a good cause where pilots can get involved and, and make a difference. And you, you can go to their website pilotsforkids.org and see some of the visits they made and see how happy some of these kids who are suffering from, you know, potentially terminal illness or injuries and stuff like that, how it brightens their day to see a pilot in uniform show up and bring them uh, gifts that really can make a difference if you just uh, are willing to contribute 25 bucks a year. That's great. We'll have a link for that as well. We just had some people asking how they could volunteer and that sounds like a great way to do it. So thanks for raising awareness about that. Well, Dylan, Max, I, I appreciate you guys uh, having us. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Thank, Thank you, you guys for the time and for coming on the show. And uh, we'll probably have to swing back around and check in with you in a bit. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but after hearing that interview, I, I oftentimes think about like when I'm at work, 
like, how is this going to work? Like, not necessarily, you know, turning direct here and descending to whatever altitude, but like on the ground and the ground crews, and then something weird happens. And like, mm-hmm. the, it's so dynamic in certain instances. After this interview, I keep thinking about that while I'm doing it. I'm like, how, how could they possibly like figure all this out? To control the yeah, it's just like even on the ramp and the, and the people pushing and push here and give way to this airplane tail south and this and that you know and that's why the jet I, bridge doesn't work so we have to do a jet bridge and operative push and like the, it's just that's why I honestly think that they'll have like autonomous airports because I feel like it's got to be one of those things where all of the craft have to be controlled by the same things because it's got to be some like centralized entity that's sort of in charge know. you know I don't know. It's interesting. It's just when you when you, when it's brought to the forefront like that when you're doing the job and you think about yeah. it, it's just, there's a lot of things to figure out. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is that it would be. I wonder if they've gone through and like categorized all of the million decisions you make on a typical flight. It's just funny because people, I think the the public probably thinks the complex part is you know descending and but yeah. you, you all know if you link an arrival up with yeah. a. RMPAR approach, like it just literally flies right to the thing, and then, but it's once you're on the ground, and then turn left yeah. here and hold short and do this, and what you know. So I don't know. We'll see. We will see. We are young enough. We yeah, will see. We will probably see. I have a newfound fear of lithium-ion batteries. Just so you know. <laughs> God, right? I'm glad I don't see a pallet of the. Oh I, my God. I, yeah. I mean, even on. Do you guys have a fire bag on your corporate jet? Did you? Uh huh. Yeah, we just got a new one. I think. If you don't have one on your airplane, you should think hard about that. Oh, yeah. Mention an offer code 215 for a uh, 5% discount. When we were on the <laughs> uh, in the Gulfstream and the baggage door is like a plug type, you know, you can yeah. pull it in. So we sat the flight time, like, listen, if there's a lithium ion battery fire and we're on our way to Hawaii, this is what you're going to need to do. We walk her back there. I'm like, you're going to have to open this in. We're going to depressurize the airplane. You're going to have to open this in flight and jettison the burning battery out the airplane. Do you think you can handle that? Because this is a real thing now. She's like, are you serious? Like, what? It, will it suck me out? And I'm like, it might, but you'll save the whole airplane. <laughs> <laughs> then she'll be a ghost at the Hasbro Heights Hilton, yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn you, man! Yeah, the best part, we, we didn't even tell her that was a joke for like two weeks. Do you smell something back there, Gina? Do you smell, do you smell smoke? Do you remember what I taught you about that baggage drawer? Go ahead and open it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do a test open just in case. Okay. Here. I'm going to need you to tether yourself. Tie some napkins take together. The, take the lav yeah. uh, uh, the lav seatbelt. <laughs> Twist it. <laughs> take, now, in the Ford Galley, there are some seatbelt extenders. Okay. I want you to plug into the last row and then daisy chain them. <laughs> Joel, we used to have, I used to fly a really old turbo prop. I think I've told this story before. That, you know, the overhead panel in the cockpit's got a bunch of warning lights that come on. There was a, a warning light that we figured out how to make it come on, but it wasn't associated with anything. And so this one guy I flew with took a sticker and wrote toilet overheat and then put it under the warning light. Have I told you this story? <laughs> so so then he would make the light light up, uh, call the flight attendant up. Hey, uh, toilet overheat light is on. Can you could just go in there and just see if the toilet's hot, you know, hot to the touch or anything? Okay, let's go back there. No, everything seems fine back here. The light is still on, though. Um, tell you what, get a bag of ice from catering. <laughs> I was just thinking that. And can you just flush it down the toilet 
real quick and just see if that works. Oh, okay. Flushing ice down the all the ground. This you'd have to do it while you're at the gate because it makes it more funny. And uh, you know, so they're trying to get all this stuff from the rampers and the caterers and watching them dump this in. And then the other thing I, I forgot to mention on the sob, the the lab is right behind the bulkhead, right behind the first officer. You're there the whole time. Like, so it's great. Oh no, it's you know. Finally, you could, you know, you could turn the light off or, or whatever you wanted to do. You could take it pretty far, but um, which reminds me of a second story. So the toilet seat, when you would flip it up in the sob, it would be leaning against the lid would be leaning against that bulkhead, right? What you could do is if you knew the other pilot was going to the bathroom, if you slid the first officer's seat all the way forward and banged on the bulkhead, oh, the toilet seat lid would fall down. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Help! So, there was a lot going on in that Sob 340 restroom. Yeah. Sounds like it. Gee, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It's the whole thing. So you you learned to listen to the the seat sliding up. That was your cue to like do something. <laughs> Quell the stream. Yeah, dude. you had to you had to decide if you wanted to oh, hold the lid. Here it or comes. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was our story time. We didn't even have this in the outline. There's our story time for today. Toilet story. Sometimes things just happen. That's right. The, the magic happens. Just pull this plug door open and you're just gonna be all set. Just just you might die. You might fall it's, out, but we will memorialize you. We'll never forget you. I promise. You'll be a, you'll save us all. The risk we're willing to take. I mean, think about the headline on the USA Today. Flight attendant saves entire airplane. The first round of drinks we get at Mama's Fish House in Maui, we are gonna toast you. Now you teach me how to use this oven in case you go out the back. Because I don't want to miss my dinner. Uh-oh. Nah, it's too far. All right. Well, I think uh, everyone has uh, done it again, wasted uh, maybe at least an hour and a half, maybe two hours of their time listening to. Not as much as we've wasted. Yeah. (laughs) Enough toilet humor for one day, Max. We need to actually try and help somebody for real here. Let's jump over to Flight Advice, which is, of course, brought to you by our friends at Harvey Watt, harveywatt.com. They are the largest provider of loss of medical insurance. What? (laughs) What? I'm just thinking of all the comedians we can do for this for this FERC. I'm still on it. Like, what about Seinfeld? Can you imagine? What is with What's all the these warning yeah. areas? What's the deal? Where do they start? Where do they end? What's the deal with all this special use airspace? <laughs> so are there chapters of the FERC? Like, could we do each chapter as a different comedian? <laughs> that would be so... That would be... Chris Rock does the fundamentals of instruction. Why stop at comedians just to go Arnold or... No, because that's not funny, Joel. God, you know how to suck the fun out of something, don't you? (laughs) Jesus. Who else? Should we get Mother Teresa in there too, Joel? Maybe for a strong message? Some overtones that we need, really, at the FERC? (laughs) Comedy FERC? Well, don't they have... I mean, sort of, but seriously, in Texas, I know they have like the... If you get like... Is it... Like speeding or DUI or whatever, and you have to go to the like driving school. It's like comedy driving school. No way. Yeah. No, that's a real thing. I'm gonna Google it right now. Comedy defensive driving. Here it is. We're on to something. This is it. We're back. Okay. Let's jump into flight advice now, which is of course brought to you by our friends at Harvey Watt, HarveyWatt.com. You can visit their website to see all of their offerings. You can play around with their free calculator, which will tell you exactly what your premium would be if you want to protect that medical certificate. And you can even check out their life insurance products. I've got a life insurance policy there, and it's awesome. 
awesome for your wife. <laughs> you should have done that as Andrew Dice Clay. It would have been perfect. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> She's rich. Hickory dickory dock. Dylan fell off the dock. He hit his head and drowned to death. Now his wife is rich. Oh! Well, <laughs> there's almost no exclusions for uh, the Harvey Watt policy, so that would count, technically, I believe. <laughs> Actually, you know, Joel, you're the one that keeps sending us those Reddit reviews, right? Yeah. And don't the Reddit... Re- didn't somebody just call it a podcast was more of a comedy show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you like comedy, 21 to Yeah. All right, okay. what's the flight advice? All just right. ask the okay. question. HarveyWatt.com, thank you for sponsoring flight advice. Our contract, I, I think I just heard it getting ripped up in the background, but on we go. All right, what do we have, Joel? I'm 40 and have just under 2,000 hours. I've been flying a caravan, part 135, for the last 1,000 hours. No jet time. We have three kids between 10 and 15 years old. My desire for the next step of my career is to have some consistency in my schedule in order to pursue some other side gigs, but to also be around for my kids as they finish high school and launch from our home. I've been looking at fractionals as I live in a base for NetJets and FlexJet. However, I'm a two and a half hour drive to a regional slash major domicile for several airlines. Is it short decided to uh, not be looking to go 121 right now? Or is a fractional job a good fit for my desires over the next five years? My dad flew 121, so I know that the music can stop at any time. Thanks. I love the show. Anonymous. Well, sounds like Anonymous should have had the Harvey Watt policy for the last thousand hours. Okay. But he's made it. And uh, I mean, two and a half hour drive is not optimal, but it is certainly doable. And I think it is way less of a waste of time than than commuting yeah. via traditional commuting methods, jump seating and stuff. So... I would give that a serious look. The, the thing, but NetJets and FlexJet, uh, FlexJet provides a good, solid, predictable, very predictable. I mean, even more so, like out months and months. But the the stretch away from home is longer yeah. per tour, as they generally call it, right? Yep. So, but that's but I just talked to Ted, the Ted, yeah, and he's on a five day trip right now. So, like, his airline does that a lot more. Yeah. And, and I think the, I think he does it by choice because he's a commuter, so yeah. c- cuts a commute out, which is a total time suck. So, but I think either way, you know, the three day trip is really not bad, man. I mean, full first day, full second day, and half the third day. It's just I feel that is good rotation with kids because he's mentioning his kids yeah. being there for his kids, and if you can just bang out a. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday kind of deal. And you're home Friday afternoon, home for the weekend, get the week started, blast off. Here's my question for everyone at Southwest. Everyone I talk to at Southwest talks about doing these Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday trips. But I'm pretty sure that airline flies every day. Yeah. Everyone I talk to is like, yeah, I just trade everything into a Tuesday, Wednesday. And I'm well, who's who's, who's flying the tra- weekends? Who's flying these weekends? I've never met a Southwest pilot well, who flies on the weekends. That's a really good point. I mean, one twenty-one. You don't just show up. You know, yeah. it's obviously it's a and seniority is moving quickly now, so that helps. I guess, but no, but there's a lot of people that prefer to fly on the weekends. Even FO, like there's a lot of captains who have no kids. So the yeah. weekend doesn't mean it means the golf course is more crowded. Right. What the weekend? Right. That's means. true. They, oh, who wants to go to dinner on a Saturday night? Yeah. Which I totally get. Yep. But when you have kids in school, weekend is everything. So 
But there's other people too that that people that are divorced that have their kids only on the weekends or or, or I mean or yeah, or yeah, not on the weekend or whatever. And then uh, so I know a lot of people. I actually had a, a list of some people that had to fly the weekends, and I would always like hit them up on text. You want to you want my hey, weekend three days? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So. that's a good point. I mean, if you're within a two and a half hour drive of a Southwest domicile. Well, any domicile. It's not Southwest. I mean, mm, no, I would say Southwest. Like, I would say that's going to be your highest, like, from a flexibility and being home standpoint, that's probably your best bet. Well, yeah, but I, that's all we know is that the best. I mean, dude, if you can be a captain at Delta in a year, rocket pretty hard up the uh, seniority list as, yeah. a, as an FO, too. So, yeah, that's true. I think anywhere at 121, the way things are moving, your quality of life is going to advance a lot yep. quicker than probably your dad did when he flew 121 yes i think we can say that but it just is very tailored to i the here's the other side of the question no jet time sub 2000 hours with caravan with a thousand hours of caravan time can you get to a major i don't think yeah i don't know probably maybe you might have to go low cost carrier there which could also potentially be a good option well you can get he says regional slash major so yeah I mean, he can do the regional. You may have to do the regional. Remember, Dylan, some people still have to go to the regionals first. That's still a thing. I know. Exactly. (laughs) So you may have to look at that. NetJets and FlexJet, not a bad idea, but you could potentially be gone from home longer. More. Yeah. But it cuts out the two and a half drive drive. You know, the thing about it, too, there's I know a lot of people that live two hours away. Yeah. And they drive in the night before for a trip. Or they so it adds another day. Yeah. yeah, even though they only live two. I mean, it just depends. Like, I mean, I wouldn't want to leave the house at. I had a four thirty show the other day. Like, you're leaving at two. Yeah, there's no way. Like, that's that's aggressive. So, uh, have we helped this person at all? Well, the thing is, a lot of times with these questions is we don't ever have the answer because there's not enough information. You have to to put all the information to really make a decision would take a lot longer than we have. So, I think our intent is to provide additional guidance of things to consider yes that maybe anonymous is not considering yeah and i think the other question he t- brings up about he or she brings up about the uh, s- other side gigs i don't know how serious that is but if that's already going then going to a regional in the first couple years it's going to be really tough to do something yeah else. and it also depends on what your side when gig is can hire, you leave yeah. your side gig for a week and then come back and hit it yeah. hard the next week because that a lot of times the fractional schedules are, are you get you're working during yeah. that, that week on your house you're not sitting in a hotel room um, so so it just depends on all of yeah. those factors a lot to consider there and if you wanted to stay on your caravan for a little while well, I, don't, I don't i, I wouldn't don't say that's, that's really yeah i don't think that's viable no so uh yeah we've answered nothing congratulations but hopefully we've given you something to think about at least let us know i'd be especially curious if you get hired at a major with your times yeah let us know that would be pretty interesting okay that's going to do it for flight advice thanks to harvey watt for sponsoring that segment you can visit 215podcast.com to fill out our anonymous form if you'd like to get some flight advice let's do a quick tim pope ad read when it comes to financial planning, he's got your back so you can focus on the mission ahead. Timothy P. Pope is a certified financial planner, helping professional pilots design and execute smart financial planning strategies. From retirement planning and investment management to military transition and tax planning, he's your financial planning partner. Timothy P. Pope, 
certified financial planner, helping professional pilots make the most out of life. That's going to do it for episode 101. Thanks to Chris and Jeremy for joining us to educate us in the world of cargo. Thanks to Dr. Chris Broyhill for the latest financial news. Timothy P. Pope, Harvey Watt, Advanced Air Crew Academy. And most of all, I think our, our newest sponsor, the ComedyFerk.com. Is that how we'll get there? Just uh, how do we do that? Stay Don't. tuned for yeah. the Comedy Ferk. <laughs> Comedy Ferk. It's going to be good. I can't wait. We're looking forward to more great interviews to, to send your way. Should we tease this next one we've got, Joel? It's it's. Could we say it's out of this world? Would that be a good teaser? That's real clever. Is that good? But um, okay. We'll see. Yes. Uh, lots of great content in the works. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't uh, subscribed to the show, consider doing it now. Tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe. The comedy Ferk. Joel's already been hard at work in the background. Uh, he typed something in to ChatGPT. You want to read it? <laughs> Aviation is like flying. High defying gravity, baby. Whether civilian or military, it's for the badass dreamers who crave the sky's freedom, taking that wildest drive to the freaking air. Oh! We'll see you next time. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll look forward to seeing you in a future episode. Until then, remember. Flexibility is the key to air power. What up? Comedyfreak.com. See you guys. <laughs> The statements made in this show are our own opinions and do not reflect, nor were they under any direction from any of our employers.